Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Crawley. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Are you excited to be here? All right, so I've been known to say excited a lot. So when I say, are you excited? I want some response. Are you excited to be here? Hey, there you go. So a um, couple guys and myself from the church, um, young, young guys, we've been to, uh, to Belgium a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were there for a youth conference. And the theme of the youth conference, the conference had a theme, and it was called Drop Zone. And, um, you know, the, the Drop Zone is actually, um, well, what it brought to my mind at first, uh, the first people that used the Drop Zone was the army. So they would, like, drop soldiers from... Uh, a plane and go behind the enemy lines into what we call a drop zone. So that's where they were supposed to drop. You get the, you get the idea. Um, what's amazing is that if, if you know, maybe you know, a plane travels really fast, right? So actually when the plane travels, if the soldiers wanted to make it into a drop zone for their mission, they had between 30 seconds and two minutes to jump to make that drop zone. If they were delayed for one reason or the other, and they jumped after that, no matter how much they would stir their parachute or try to reach that drop zone, they wouldn't make it. So 30 seconds to two minutes isn't a lot. So when the captain said, jump, 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 they had to jump in that moment so that they would reach their objective. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about obedience. And just as the army guys, when they jump from the plane to reach their drop zone, it requires immediate, complete obedience. That's what God requires from us every single day. And we've been looking as a church, as a series of living like Jesus. And how many of you know that Jesus was completely obedient, completely dependent on the Father? In fact, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, or when he was about to, he, he publicly said, Father, I, 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 I declare this to you right now so that they know it's you doing it and not me. There was this dependence and this complete obedience from Jesus to the Father. And I want to look at another guy this morning. You may know him. He's quite famous, at least in the Bible. Uh, his name is Abraham. And um, if you want to put up the first scripture on the screen, it's found in Genesis uh, chapter 22. And Abraham was put in a crazy story where complete obedience and reliance on God was required from him. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham got called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. There you go. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father... 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar, an altar and arranged the, the, arranged the wood on it. Sorry. Um, then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay your hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. For now I know that you truly fear God. I want to focus on that last bit for a second because I think that in order for Abraham to fully obey God, he needed to fear the Lord. What is this fear of the Lord that I want to touch upon today? Let me tell you right away, it's not being afraid of God. It's, the fear of the Lord is an awe, a reverence. It's knowing that God is almighty. He is the king of glory. He is the one who created the universe, the stars, everything in it. So, we need to have that awe and reverence of God. And sometimes to understand better what something is, it's easier to explain what it's not. And being, um, having the fear of the Lord, what, what, it, what it's not, is being familiar with God. Um, and I want to I talk a bit about familiarity. If you don't, if you don't know what it is, um, an, an easy example, sometimes you can be familiar with your friends. So let's say you have good friends and you, you're familiar with them. So you're going to talk to them a certain way. You're going to behave a certain way with them. So when you're going to go and say hi to them, maybe you're going to be like, Wagwan fam. Or uh, you're going to be like, uh, what's up, G? I don't know, whatever you say to your friends, you know, I don't know. Um, that was London slang, and I felt pretty proud saying that because um, I'm from Belgium, and we don't use that over there. So uh, I, think, I think you guys are cool. Um, so, um, so, yeah, but, but let's, say now, let's say now you meet your in-laws for the first time or your future in-laws for the first time. Um, obviously, you're familiar with your friends, and you behave a certain way with them, but with your in-laws, you, you're going to say hi, and you're going to be like, what's up? No, maybe not, right? So you're going to probably be like, uh, hi, sir, so good to meet you. Good morning, ma'am. You look so lovely today. Now may I kiss your daughter, please? I don't know. Um, but there's a, there's a difference there, right? You, you behave a certain way with your friends because you're familiar with them. But with your future in-laws or people you meet for the first time, there's a certain respect there because you don't know them yet. You're not familiar with them. Now I want to look at quickly two stories in the Bible where people got familiar with God. And that's where it gets real dangerous. Because if you're familiar with your in-laws, you might get away with it. But with God, you won't. <laughs> so let's look at our first story. It's found, in, um, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you want to go before that, Luke, sorry. Um, it's a story about Eli's sons. And so, do you have it? 1 Samuel chapter 2. Sorry. Um, we can just pick it up in the Bible. Oh, it's there. Technology is here. Um, now the sons of Eli were his crandles who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, um, Eli's son would send over, I'm checking the time, because send over a servant with three 
pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servants would come even before the animal's fat had been burnt on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had even been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. And a bit further in the chapter, it says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young woman who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Now there's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning, but uh, uh, scriptures is truth, and truth sets us free, so we need it. I believe we just need some more. So we're going to have a lot of scriptures. But what's happening here? Eli's sons are basically um, taking, people are coming to, to, to offer the sacrifice and everything. So they're taking meat from the sacrifice. Um, they are seducing women that come to the, to the temple to pray. And actually they, they end up sleeping with them. And so all of that seems pretty messed up, right? But because nothing happens on, on that, in that moment, they think, maybe they think, oh, God, God doesn't care so much. God doesn't see this. God, God's okay with it. They mistake a delayed judgment for the absence of it. So because there is no judgment straight away, they, they, they justify their behavior and think it's okay for us to keep on living like we're living, for us to keep doing this. And so they mistake a delayed judgment for the absence of it. And this story seems completely crazy, right? I mean, seducing women that come to pray to God, using this, the, 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 the sacrifice. Um, but how often do you hear today in the church that there is abuse of leadership in one way or another? That there is a, a, a pastor that cheated on his wife and went sleeping with a woman from the congregation. Or that someone in the congregation cheated on his wife. Uh, how many times do we ourselves not offer our best to God when we come Sunday in church? Because this is what we're doing. We, we are living sacrifices. Our life are a sacrifice to God. How many times do we not offer our best to God every single day? Suddenly, it doesn't look so crazy anymore, does it? And so they treat, it says in the Word, they treat God and the offering and everything with contempt. And there's a second story I really want to quickly go to. It's found in Acts chapter 5. And um, if I set you up, at the end of chapter 4, um, the disciples, the apostles, um, everybody in the church, they, they put everything together. They, they live as one. They live in community. They share everything. They have nothing of their own. And this guy comes and he had a land. And he sells that land and he brings the whole amount of what he gets from, that, from selling the land. And he brings it to the church and say, here it is, it's for you to be blessed. And so the church rejoices over that. Enters um, Ananias and Zephira. Let's quickly read this story. But there was a certain man named Ananias um, who, with his wife Zephira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? 
You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what is this, what, 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 what's this price? Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young man who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. What's happening there? Ananias and Zephira have a land as well. Just like the guy at the end of the last chapter. And they thought, oh, he sold his land. He called. We're going to sell our land. We call. <laughs> It's not that easy. They sell the land and then they decide. It's their decision to sell the land. As, as Peter says in that passage, it was yours to sell or not to sell. It was yours to do whatever you want it with. So they decide to sell, but then they decide to keep some of the money, which is fine too. But then they lie about it. Because let me tell you as well, you're going to serve who you fear. You will end up serving who you fear. And so in the end, what's happening there is that this, they fear men more than they fear God. In the end, when they confronted about selling the land, they, rem they probably remembered the guy that sold the land. And they thought, well, he, he, so he gave the whole amount. So when confronted about the money, they probably thought, it's better if we say that we saw it was the whole amount as well, that we given the whole amount. So they were afraid of, they, they feared men more than they feared God. And so they, you end up serving what you fear. And so, again, in those two stories, we can see how they treated the Lord with contempt. They treated the position with contempt. Whatever, whatever the offering were, they treated it with contempt. And they thought, it's okay to lie or it's okay to do this. And it's not. And, and Ananias and Zephyr actually face um, direct judgment right there. And then they end up on the floor. And so this fear of the Lord, as we can see, is really key. Because... There are promises that come with the fear of God that I really want to quickly look into. And the first one is from Psalm 31, verse 19. And it says, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who? All right, tap your neighbor and say, we're getting somewhere. All right, cool. Let's go to the next one. Psalm 145. It says, He grants the desires of those who? He hears their cries for help and rescues them. Tap your neighbor and say, we're getting somewhere. All right, let's go to the next scripture. Isaiah 11, 2. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and mind. The spirit of knowledge and the? 
All right, are you getting it? It's so key. And there are so many promises that come with fear in the Lord. Goodness, abundance, faithfulness, all those things, wisdom come with the fear of the Lord. Um, and it's not 11 yet. We still got two minutes. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep checking the time to make sure we're in tune with the nation. Um, I want us to go back to Abraham's story really quick. Um, because I think now that we know a bit more of the fear of the Lord and we understand what it means, uh, hopefully, I want to look at that story because we, I think so many times in the Bible we read those stories and because we know the end, we're just like, oh yeah, that's a cool story. But what, what was going on through Abraham's mind? How crazy is that? That Abraham and Sarah waited for so long for that promise of, his, of their son to come through. They cried to God for years and years. Finally, Isaac is here. Finally, the promises has come true. And now God's like, you know your son you love, Isaac? Yeah, God. Well, go and sacrifice him. I, I'm not a parent, but... I'm thinking that. That is pretty crazy. And so we're going to pick up on some stuff in that story. But as well, why am I choosing Abraham this morning? Because it says in the Bible that Abraham was a friend of God. And there are only two people that are described as friend of God in the Bible. It's Abraham and Moses. And I believe God had many more friends and we're called to be his friends. Um, but they, they were called like that. And I believe it means that there's something we can pick from their lives and receive. There's a reason why they were highlighted as friend of God. And we see that in, um, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, we have this verse that simply says, Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people of Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendant of your friend, Abraham? So Abraham was called a friend of God. And what's really interesting is that if we look in Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. And the verse disappeared. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. So we see that Abraham, we see in the story in Genesis that Abraham feared the Lord. Then we see that the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. So you see that whole concept, Abraham was a friend of God. And so if we look again in that story uh, in Genesis 22, Abraham's required to go by God to go sacrifice his son. It was quite incredible. The first thing I'm going to pick on, if you want to put the, the verses back, please, um, the, f the first bit, um, is that it says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now look at this. The next morning, Abraham got up early. And it's just one simple sentence. But the meaning, the depth of it is incredible because there was no delay in his going. He's required by God to go sacrifice his son, but there is no delay in his obedience to God. How often do we say God speaks or God says something and we'll say, oh, it's okay, I can, I can, I can do that tomorrow. Or, oh, it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on it, Lord, don't, don't worry. There is no delay. He got up early the next morning. But, but all through that night, all through the evening, these thoughts were, I'm about to sacrifice my son. Like, it's my only son. It's not like I got ten. I got one. <laughs> I got to go and sacrifice him. And then he's married. He's married to Sarah. I mean, 
on, on the pillow that night when they were, they were about to sleep. Like Sarah probably went like, Abraham, how was your day? Abraham was like, yeah, yeah, good. Did God say anything? Yeah, actually, God spoke to me. And, and uh, <laughs> he said, we got to go and sacrifice our son. Sarah probably went like, oh, heck no. You're not going to go and sacrifice our son. Sarah probably went mad on him. Like in my mind, she, she did. So, it, it, anyways, it was funny in my mind. Uh, but she probably went crazy. She, she, it's our son. It's my baby. Like I've, I've carried him in my womb. I've, 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 I've helped him grow all through the years. Like You can't do that, Abraham. But Abraham went up early the next morning. And maybe, just maybe, if Abraham's a God-fearing man, Sarah would be a God-fearing woman. And maybe she didn't go like, oh, no. Nah. Maybe she went, Abraham, if God has asked you to do this, he is Lord. And you need to go because we are God-fearing people and we will do what the Lord says to do. Because he's a good father. Somehow, Isaac's in his hands. And so Abraham goes. Abraham goes early the next morning. And there is no discussion. There is no like, how many times do we, do we try to have a discussion with God when he asks something? Hey, go talk to that person. Oh, God, you sure? He big. Like, <laughs> I'm a bit scared. Like, maybe, maybe he's not going to really appreciate the fact that I'm going to go talk to you. Uh, to him about you, like, uh, I don't know, or, or, or go over there, go over there, oh, I, I don't know about going over there, God, like, I, I, maybe, maybe I don't really want to do that, so how many times do we try to have a discussion with God, or do we complain to God, there is no complaint in what Abraham does, but let's look a bit further in the story, because there's another aspect I think that so often we miss, but Oh, as well, that, yeah, that's crazy. Look at this sentence. On the third day of the journey, it's not like Abraham was going in the garden to sacrifice his son. For three days, he was walking with his son. For three days, they were walking towards the destination. For three days, he has these thoughts going through his head. Is this going to work? Is God going to provide another sacrifice? Is my son really going to die? Like, I'm going to lose him. How is this going to happen? And his son is right next to him. They're walking together. Like, I don't know if we completely understand, but they were probably talking, having a conversation. Abraham was probably like, son, do you want to hear a joke? And he went like, yeah, dad. Do you want to hear the joke? about construction yeah dad I'm still working on it <laughs> and, and, and then and then he probably fought and then he probably fought <laughs> son you don't even know I'm about to kill you and I can't even tell you you know how crazy was everything going through Abraham's mind at that point for three days he just walked with his son knowing it might be the last moment I share with him it, I, I, and, and, and then they get to the place of sacrifice and here's the aspect I want to I want to touch upon still. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood of the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder. See, I don't know in your mind, but in my mind, Isaac in that story was always a little boy. But actually, scholars have studied and have picked up that at that point, Isaac is between 20 and 30 years old. They're placing the wood on Isaac's shoulder because Isaac at that point, he's stronger than his dad. See, that, that brings a whole other dimension to the story because it's not only Abraham that is sitting there being so obedient to God, but 
Isaac is there. And later on in the story, if you, if you go to the next um, slide, it says, let me find it. Um, when they arrive at the place, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. If you go to the next one, then he tied his son Isaac. Do you see a reaction from Isaac? Isaac at that point is stronger than his dad. If my dad's coming to tie me up, I'm like, no, I'm going to drop. No, I I love my dad. Um, But, you know, there is no reaction from Isaac. He is there. He knows if my dad, there's complete trust in his father. If my dad's doing this, there's there's a good plan behind this. It's going to work out. There is no reaction there. Isaac's completely submitted, completely obedient. When his dad, Abraham, says, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm tying you up. He's not even asking any question. How many? If we want to see something changing in our world today, it's going to require complete, direct obedience to God. God has purchased a whole life. And Abraham was well aware of that. Jesus was well aware of that. That they couldn't do anything if God wasn't there. God has purchased everything of us. And if he did, then if God says jump, we jump. If God says go talk to that person, we go. If God says go there, we go as well. And Abraham had realized that. He understood that. He was completely dependent on the Father, completely obedient. And I think sometimes we discuss, we delay, we complain. We fight maybe a bit against, wrestle against what God is requiring of us. But he's already paid the price. We belong to him. And yet, sometimes it might be scary. Sometimes it might, it might look crazy. But, but do you think I wasn't scared to come up here in front of you and preach this morning? Like I asked the guys like last week, I, I did it in Horsham and I was about to run away. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Forget it. But every time... You're going to obey. God is going to be faithful to carry you. God is going to be faithful to see you through. Because it's not you doing anything. It's God in you. You have everything inside of you to see it through. And so when you obey, it's the Holy Spirit inside of you that is rising and doing its thing. You ain't got anything to do with it. And so, yeah, you might feel weak. But in your weakness, he's made strong. Come on. You got to know these scriptures and declare it over yourself because when you're weak, he is strong. And so when you're scared to go talk to that big guy over there, you got to go, but God, it's you through me. It's not me. So I'm going to tell him about you. I'm going to tell him about you. And so often we don't dare to jump. If we go back to that plane of the beginning, you know, the drop zone, it's like we're in the plane and the plane is our comfort zone. It's everything we know. And we're hanging out to the plane. We're hanging on to the plane and we're about to jump. And the captain goes, jump, jump, jump. God is like, jump, jump out there. I got the best for you down there. Jump down there because there are people waiting for you. Jump down there. Yeah, but God, it looks scary. God is dark. God, I don't know if I'm going to land properly. God, how are you going to? Jump. Because my best for you is over there. My best for you is down there. My best for you ain't in your comfort zone. Let me show you. I will carry you. I will do it through you. But you got to jump. You got to obey. Just like Abraham. Just like Jesus. And you know what's also incredible is that when those army people, they jumped, they never jumped alone. It was always a unit. But if you're the first one standing there and you're not making the jump, all those people, they're depending on you to jump to them. Them make their jump. Th- then they will make their jump. 
Do you understand? If you don't jump, they can't jump either. If you don't jump and do what God's requiring of you, they can step into the best from God. They can step into salvation. They're dependent on you, that unit. There are people that are dependent on you today to go to them, to talk about Jesus. To Your life's not your own. And we always talk about revival and we always say, oh, we want to see all of this happening. But revival is harder than what we live in now. There's a cost to revival. It requires complete obedience. And it requires probably to do things that look even scarier and crazier than what God's requiring of you now. When in revival people come at 3 a.m., knock on your door. And, and they knock on your door and you're coming down in your PJs. You open the door and you see that you're going to close it back. No, they're coming and you're like, why are you here? And they're telling you, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here, but I've seen this door. I know I need to be here. Are you going to tell them bye? No, you open the door and you say, I know exactly why you're here. Come in here. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He loves you so much. There's a cost to revival. There's a cost to us. You don't, we don't live for ourselves. If God has purchased our lives, our lives are His. And we need to realize that we're not, you're not here in church for yourself today. You're here so that you receive something, so that it's established in you. But then you're able to go and release it. There's always a so that. You receive today so that your family is never going to be the same. So that your church is going to grow. So that your workplace will be different. We, don't li- we have to stop living for ourselves. It's not about us. Yes, our lives matter. Dave says it enough, our lives matter, but our lives are not our own. And we got to go out there. We got to jump out the plane and go reach those people in the darkness. Otherwise, they will never know. And there are people today that you can speak into that I can't. There are people that you can reach that I can't reach. And if one part of the body is not doing its task, the body cannot work properly. Every single one of you have a role to play in this. And if we want to see a change, we got to do something different. Because if we keep doing the same thing, the same result is going to happen, right? So this is going to require a change in us so that we will see a change in Crowley. So that we will see a change in Horsham, Worthing, Burgess Hill. So that we see revival. We see people running through those doors on Sundays. Being like, I don't know why I'm here, but this looks cool. Let me hear about Jesus. Do you believe that's even possible? Because I've read about it. It happened in the past. But my Bible also says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if it happened before, it can happen again. But it's going to require something from us. It's going to require that complete obedience, that complete sacrifice of ourselves. It's going to require our agenda being a little messed up. But if God purchased your life, he also purchased your time. Your time belongs to him. How you spend your time. You're on the train, you got two hours to London. God, what do I do with those two hours? Is there something I can say, someone I can talk to? You have time before your next meeting. God, do you want me to pray into anything? It looks like that. It's every day jumping out of that plane into every decision. It's, it's living that daily sacrifice in complete obedience, just like Abraham did, just like Jesus did. I want to... I want to share, lastly, a picture I had that God gave me a couple of weeks ago. And I want you all to close your eyes. And I want you to picture that. Now, it might sound like a, I've heard it before, I've seen it before type of picture. But just park that off for a minute. 
and just hear God's heart through this. Say, it's from my perspective. And so I'm walking up to church. And there's like a queue of people outside the church that goes through the parking lot, that goes down the street. It's, 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 it's long. It's like longer than the release day of the iPhone. It's, it's long. And people are queuing. And I'm like, well, the doors are open. Why are people not going in? So I step in the, in the church. And there are people there waiting in front of the doors to the main hall. I'm like, why are they not going in? So I go through in the main hall, and the main hall is packed. There's a presence there so tangible of God. There are people on their knees weeping. They are meeting with God. And so I understand quickly in my mind that it's not that they don't want to go in. It's that they can't go in, but they patiently wait for their turn to step in to what's happening, to hear from God, to receive from Him. And in my head, I'm saying it's time for a second service. (laughs) But God left me with that simple sentence. Do you dare to believe? Church, this morning, do we dare to believe? If you see that in your mind's eye, do you, do you, can you picture it happening? See yourself in that church with those thousands of people rushing in. That's what God desires every single week. But God has chosen to work with us, through us. And so he requires us working in um, yeah, together with God on this. In unity with God. And so God left me with that simple sentence, do you dare to believe? And I want to ask you this morning, you can open your eyes. I want to ask you this morning, do you dare to believe that can happen? Do you dare to believe that in a month's time, this building can be too small? That we wouldn't fit people anymore? I know I sound like another crazy person, but... But God's desire is for revival to always be there. Constantly. But it's about us, his people, living in obedience, in the fear of God. Giving our best to him every day. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just what's happening here on this stage when we sing songs. And so living that lifestyle of worship to him. Living our lives for him and not for our own. There's a... Uh, a, a verse in Haggai that says, um, you are building houses for yourself while my house is lying in ruins. And it's God speaking. And I think too often we, we're kind of doing that. We're building our houses. We're building our own lives, building our, going after our goals, going after our dreams. But then God's house, the church is lying in ruins. His kingdom is just a glimpse of what it should be. And so Haggai challenges the people. It wasn't planned that I would share this. But Haggai challenges the people. And he simply says in chapter 2, it's a very small book. I encourage you to read it if you, if you can. Um, and in chapter 2, Haggai says, if you, if you do what I say, and if you start building the house back, then this is what the Lord of the heaven army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven armies. The future glory of this temple 
will be greater than his past glory, says the Lord of heaven armies. And this place I will bring peace, the Lord of heaven armies has spoken. The future glory of this temple will be greater than his past glory. Church, the best days are ahead. God is coming, and it's coming a time where he's going to shake the heavens, shake the earth. But every one of us, young guys, older guys, every one of us, all together, is going to require something from us. And I know I've said that sentence a lot this morning. But this morning is something that needs to be established so strongly in us that we understand I'm going to live differently tomorrow. There's going to be something in me that's going to be stirred so that my church will change, so that my family will be saved, so that my best friend will finally step in this church. I want to read one last story. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. And it talks about Moses. See, I told you earlier that Moses and Abraham were the two people designated as friend of God. So I believe we can also learn something from Moses. And it simply says at the end of chapter 20, ooh, I have it there. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they, say, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us. Or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered to them. For God has come in this way to test you. And so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Now what's happening here is simply. Moses goes on to meet with God in one of the most powerful encounters he has. But in that story, there's two groups of people. And I believe we all have a responsibility this morning to make a stand for what we can, we can choose. You all have a choice. You can either be Moses or you can be the people of Israel. See, the difference between them two is that Moses feared the Lord. And so he knew he had to draw in. He knew he had to go in his presence. He knew he had to step into more. But the people of Israel were afraid of God because of what it looked like, because of what it sounded like. And so they drew back. And they says, Moses, you go and you tell us what happens. But, but we're going to stay here where it's comfortable. This morning, we all have a choice. We can either step in that cloud, step in that more, surrender afresh, saying, God, I want to see this happen through me. I want you to use me no matter what it looks like. God, I'm going to be obedient. God, teach me what it means to have this fear of the Lord. To live with it daily. To surrender myself completely to you. Or we can be like Israel. Say, forget it. It all looks too much. It all looks too scary. But then... Nothing will change. And Crawley's going to stay the same. And our families are going to stay the same. And I'm getting emotional just because I know the heaviness, the, not the heaviness, the weightiness of what God wants to do in our towns. He wants to use each of you so powerfully. He wants to use kingdom faith to be such a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, such a light. But each of us, as part of this body, have a responsibility to build that house together. 
It doesn't matter if the leadership, if Anna and Rohan and Pastor Gary and Rachel have, have the best vision, have the greatest heart. But again, if you don't step into what they're saying every week, if you don't follow them wholeheartedly, nothing will change. God is waiting on you to step into this cloud. And I know the cloud is an image, but you step into that more. To step into this and say, God, I want to live with this fear of you. I don't want to discuss. I don't want to complain. I don't want to delay. I want to simply trust that every time I jump out this plane, every time I jump, no matter what it looks like, you're going to carry me through. You're going to make a way. You're going to make it work. And I'm going to see your glory. We're going to sing this song. Well, Timmy's going to sing because he sings, he sings much better than I do. It simply says, I see the cloud and I step in. I see the cloud and it's, it's based on that scripture I just read. And I run in. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. And I want us all to stand up. And I know we don't do this much. If we all stand up, I know we don't do this much. But I want us this morning as a step of faith, as a declaration, a physical show, an illustration of what we're stepping into and taking a decision and a stand for I want you to take a step simply forward or out of your rows. Or I don't care if you have to come and fill this, if you have to fill the back, the sides. I don't care what it looks like. And you shouldn't either. Because right now it's between you and God and nothing else matters. And nothing will tomorrow. Nothing will yesterday. It's just this moment between you and God right now. And as we sing that song, I want your heart to cry out to God, if you wish, because I can't force you to do this. No matter how many words I'm going to speak, you have to make that decision. God, I'm stepping into something more. I'm stepping into something new. I'm stepping into that glory. I want to see this town change. I want to see my family change. I want to so that the world will change. There's always that so that. So today, you're making a stand so that nothing will ever be the same. So we're simply going to sing. I really feel, I really feel, and, and, and we've done it before, and you'll do it again, but I can't force you to do it. But right now, as a sign of submission and just reverence to God, if you can, just go on your knees and tell Him that again. Just church, I, I know, but it doesn't matter what it looks like. If you're able, just, just do it and cry to God. As I said, this morning, it's not about Timmy singing that song. It's not even about the song, but it's about the cry of your heart. And we need to hear you, church. Just let that cry rise up inside of you. Let that cry come out above all the circumstances, above what it looks like, sounds like. It's a commitment this morning. Let that cry rise up and say, show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory, Lord.
We're going to sing one more time this bit that says, I see the cloud in our running. I see the cloud in our jumping. And one more time, declare it. God, I'm ready. God, this is a new beginning. This is a new season. And I'm going to play my part in it. This morning, we took a stand and we made a decision. But let me tell you and let me remind you, it's not about this morning. Because tomorrow, this morning is great and God's presence is here and it's, it's amazing. But tomorrow, you got to go to work. Tomorrow, you got to confront your family. Tomorrow, you got to see your friends. Tomorrow, you have to represent Him. Tomorrow is where the rubber hits the road. Tomorrow is where you got you to gotta declare this, God, my time is yours. God, my, my lips are yours. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to behave? It's not about today. It's about tomorrow. And we got to cultivate this because now something has been established. There's, a, there's something that, take, that has taken roots there. But you got to cultivate it. It's up to you to cultivate it every day in your secret place. Spend that time. Listen to God. Cultivate that. Because otherwise, so quickly, we'll go back to being the same old people with the same old plans, with the same old situations. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. Thank you.